Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Our culture has been compared to the ocean in which we swim. Like the ocean, it's all around us. Like the ocean, our culture contains powerful unseen undercurrents that can capture our loved ones and drag them to destruction. At this cultural moment, many 20-somethings raised in Christian homes are being carried out to a sea of false ideas leading them to deconstruct their faith or cast overboard the unpopular truths of it. Because of the explosion of the social media, Christian men who are faithful to lead their homes have no choice but to try to understand the worldviews being promoted daily in the ears of the rising generation and then accepting the challenge of showing this generation how faulty these false ideas are. That is why authors John Stone Street and Brett Kunkel say not to clarify the cultural issues of our day with the next generation is a dereliction of duty. Today, we look at the cultural drift that has been called the rise and triumph of the modern self, the ideology that locates true human identity, meaning, purpose, fulfillment, freedom, and authenticity in the autonomy of the human self. We examine how this destructive worldview harms those who embrace it and how to help the rising generation see how much more sense the biblical worldview of identity, purpose, fulfillment, and authenticity makes. Thanks for joining us today for Season 3, Episode 42, of Mission Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagel. One of the forgotten facts about Christianity is that it is a covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood, said Jesus. In the ancient world, covenants were not limited to just individuals, but were made with families. That is why on the day of Pentecost, Peter proclaimed that the promise of salvation is, quote, for you and your children. That is why God says of Abraham, the father of all Old Testament and New Testament believers, I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Those seeking to guide the next generation into truth, righteousness, and justice will find the analysis of Dr. Carl Truman, professor of biblical and religious studies at Grove City College, valuable. He uses the example of the recent explosion of transgenderism to track back to the way our culture has changed its view of human identity. In the introduction of his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, Truman writes, The normalization of transgenderism cannot be properly understood until it is set within the context of a much broader transformation in how society understands the nature of human selfhood. This transformation of the concept of the self is shown in the increasing focus on inwardness, that is, the inner psychological life, and the prioritization of an individual's inner psyche, his or her feelings, over objective reality. Transgenderism provides an excellent example, he writes. People who think they are a woman trapped in a man's body are really making their inner psychological convictions absolutely decisive for who they are. 
The concept of happiness is now found by turning inward. What makes me feel good? What seems best for my psychological well-being instead of turning outward to providing for our loved ones and serving other members of society? The cosmic question, what am I here for, is answered to be me, to find my own way, to throw off any external constraints and discover who I really am. The epitome of this meism is the right to make truth for myself. Until now, it was understood that the world is objectively real, and mankind's intellectual growth was in how to adjust to that reality. Now, the widespread acceptance of the idea that gender is based on what you feel inside, instead of based upon biological reality, is the epitome of this new subjectivism. In the rest of this episode, we'll examine five ways that the modern concept of the self fails, and then how to help the rising generation see how the biblical worldview of the self is far richer, more coherent, more affirming of human worth, and matches what we know about reality. First, the modern concept of identity, gained through turning inward, is fickle and unstable. Our identity has to be a sense of self that is durable. You live in many spheres at once. You are a family member, a roommate, a work associate, a neighbor, and sometimes are all alone. To have an identity is to have something that is true of you in every setting. Otherwise, there would be no you. Our sense of self also embodies the need to feel significant. In ancient societies, as well as many non-Western cultures today, the self was defined and shaped by both internal desires and external social roles and relationships. If you asked, who are you? They would most likely say that they are a wife, or a son, or a member of a particular tribe, or describe the way they serve their society as a farmer, a store owner, or government worker. Their identity comes from the way they fit into the social fabric and how they uphold the jointly held values of the group. Fulfillment came from denying themselves to care for their family, serve their customers well, or fight for their ideals. For example, in Mel Gibson's movie Braveheart, William Wallace addresses his troops before they fight the English. He says, Sons of Scotland, I am William Wallace. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. Fight, and you may die. Run, and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom Heroes were those who sacrificed for ideals and people outside of themselves, not for their own fulfillment. In stark contrast, the modern view of the self is seen in Maria's song in The Sound of Music. Climb every mountain, ford every stream, follow every rainbow till you find your dream. Or for the younger crowd, the words of Elsa from the movie Frozen send the same message. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Freedom comes, in other words, from breaking loose from relationships which impose obligations on us. We need to look inside to find our own dream. 
and then follow every rainbow in the hopes of reaching whatever that is. The problem with this self-centered worldview is that your identity will always be changing. If you look into your heart to find your desires, you will discover that you have many desires and that they contradict one another. Your desire to be successful in your career will conflict with your desire to have a successful marriage, which requires you to save energy and time to devote to your mate. So who are you? A systems analyst division chief or a husband? In addition, our inner dreams are elusive and often unrealistic. What happens to a college football player whose dream is to play in the NFL when he finds himself never getting a chance to even start in college? And besides being contradictory and elusive, our inner desires are constantly changing. But by definition, your identity is having a stable core sense of who you are day in and day out in different settings and different times. That is why forging an identity both through our inner ambitions and through our place in society, our outside relationships made sense. Pastor scholar Tim Keller writes, if your identity is just your desires, they are going to be changing all the time. If in every situation you seek your own self-interest, responding in ways that get the approval and control you want at the moment, then identity essentially disappears. There is no self at all. What seems to be the self is merely a series of social masks that change with each successive situation. Ironically, the emphasis on being yourself apart from fixed social roles results in there being no sustained you left. So turning inward to find my identity through what I want, what my dreams are, always leads to instability and insecurity because inward desires are changing and contradictory. The second failure of the modern idea of identity turning inward is that it can't impart a true sense of worth. Gail Sheehy, in her best-selling book, Passages, reflected the increasingly popular worldview back in the 1970s that has led us to where we are in the 2020s. In these words, she affirms authenticity as the highest virtue. She says, you are moving away from institutional and other people's agenda, away from external valuations and accreditations in search of an inner validation. You are moving out of social roles and into the self. Whatever counterfeit safety we hold from overinvestments in people and institutions must be given up. It is for each of us to find a course that is valid by our own reckoning. The message is that you bestow significance upon yourself. Yourself is the place where you must find validation. This is a widely believed myth in today's culture, but it cannot stand up to thoughtful scrutiny. You cannot get an identity from self-recognition. It must come in great measure from others. Again, Keller writes, in the end, we can't say to ourselves, I don't care that everyone else in the world thinks I'm a monster. I love myself, and that is all that matters. That would not convince us of our worth unless we are mentally unsound. We need someone from outside to say we are of great worth. And the greater the worth of that someone or someones, the more power they have to instill a sense of self and of worth. 
Only if we are approved and loved by someone whom we esteem can we achieve any esteem. We need someone we respect to respect us. We need someone we admire to admire us. Even when modern people claim to be validating themselves, the reality is always that they are socializing themselves into a new community of peers, of cheerleaders, of people whose approval they crave. Many today say, this is who I am, and I don't care what society thinks. I only care what I think. But then on social media, we see what has really happened. One community and set of cheerleaders is rejected and new ones adopted. And the person is thinking about herself in exactly the way the new community dictates. Consider the teen girl who comes out trans. She claims that her inner self is telling her that she is a boy. But research shows a very tight link between such teen girls and their new online trans peers. It is her peers' reality that she is being guided by, not hers. We are wired so that trying to find worth inside ourselves doesn't work. We need others to impart value to us. The third failure of the modern view of identity is that it creates incredible pressure upon us to measure up. Our modern culture tells us that we have the power to create ourselves. But a self-made identity forged on our performance and achievement makes our self-worth fragile in the face of failure and difficulty. Keller saw the internal pressure that thinking we have the power to create ourselves put on the Manhattanites of his church. This produces a pressure and anxiety beyond what our ancestors knew. We have to decide our look and style, our stance and ethos. We then have to promote ourselves and be accepted in the new space, professional, social, aesthetic, in which we have chosen to create ourselves. As a result, new modes of conformity arise as people turn themselves into brands. We become increasingly enslaved to the recognition given or withheld by significant others. You have to, after all, live up to the brand you are consciously or unconsciously promoting about yourself. And failure can crush you. The fourth failure of the modern view of identity is that it promotes the faulty definition of freedom as autonomy. Today's culture believes freedom is the highest good. Christians should celebrate the emphasis on individual freedom that is a central part of our Western culture. It has led to incalculable good and a far more just society in recent years for women and minorities. But freedom is coming to be defined in a more and more destructive way as the absence of limitations or restraints. However, defining freedom this way is not only destructive, it is unworkable. Here are four reasons why. Number one, the absence of limitations in the world is a fantasy. Freedom from restraints only exists in the make-believe world of flying superheroes taking deadly blows but never showing any wounds to their bodies. I have type 2 diabetes. If I want to be free from having my legs amputated and live long enough to enjoy my grandchildren, I must constrain my desire for sugar and overcome my dislike of aching muscles when I exercise. The freedom for the concert pianist's fingers to fly across the keys is the result of constraining herself to practice several hours every day. Furthermore, as 
Atul Gawande argues in his book, Being Mortal, living a life free of coercion is a fantasy. It's an illusion that can only be temporarily supported when we're young and healthy adults. But as children, we were dependent upon the care of others. When we get old, we will be again. If we ever get injured or sick, that can happen right now. Our lives, he writes, are inherently dependent on others and subject to forces beyond our control. Ever having the absence of limitations in this world is a fantasy. The second reason that defining freedom as the absence of limitations or restraints doesn't work is that humans find true freedom only if they're willing to submit their choices to reality, including especially the reality of your design. You're not free to stick your hand in the fire and not be burned. Reality is that fire burns flesh. A fish is not free when taken out of water and put on the grass. Its freedom comes from honoring its design. If you see a sailboat moving swiftly on the water, it is because the sailor is honoring the boat's design. In the same way, humans flourish in certain environments and break down in others. Unless you honor the givens and limits of your physical body, for example, you will never know the freedom of health. Unless you honor the givens and limits of human relationships, you will never know the freedom of love and relational peace. If you actually lived the way you wanted to, never aligning your choices with physical and relational reality, you would quickly die and die alone. The third reason that defining freedom as the absence of limitations or restraints doesn't work is that the modern definition of the rights of the self to be free from restraints destroys community. Jonathan Haidt, in his book, The Happiness Hypothesis, putting ancient wisdom and philosophy to the test, argues that strong social relationships are foundational to human flourishing. Quote, having them strengthens the immune system, extends life more than does quitting smoking, speeds recovery from surgery, and reduces the risk of depression and anxiety disorders. We need to interact and intertwine with others. We need to give and to take. We need to belong. Therefore, hate continues, an ideology of extreme personal freedom can be dangerous because it encourages people to leave homes, jobs, cities, and marriages in search of personal and professional fulfillment, thereby breaking the relationships that were probably their best hope for fulfillment. Defining freedom as the absence of restraints destroys relationships. The fourth way that the concept that for the self to flourish, it must be free from restraints fails is that it leads to a destructive view of rearing children. The fundamental responsibility of parents is to teach a child that the world does not revolve around him, but that he needs to take control of himself and adjust to the realities of life. Back to Carl Truman's observations, the epitome of this misguided approach to child rearing is the idea that parents should raise their child to be genderless and decide for themselves what their gender is. The modern exaltation of the self contains a false, destructive view of freedom. And then finally, the modern approach to identity chooses a life of delusion. 
The underpinnings of modern identity confuse subjective truth claims with objective truth claims, exalting the subjective modern self as the arbiter of truth rather than objective reality. Subjective truth claims are grounded in the people who make them. Krispy Kreme donuts are the best donuts is a subjective truth claim, a matter of my opinion. While it may be true for me, it isn't necessarily true for others. In contrast, my mechanics claim your brakes are fixed is an objective truth claim. If I leave the shop and the brakes fail, the mechanic's truth claim was proved objectively false, no matter what my mechanic's belief was. The more our culture descends into subjectivity and the fuzzier we allow the rising generation of Christians to become in their thinking, the more we can expect them to be taken captive by thinking that we ourselves determine our physical reality. This is a cruel reversal of the truth. A biological girl is a female. That truth is reality. Puberty blockers, cross-gender hormones, and gender top or bottom surgeries do not turn women into men, but into miserable, marred women. Now let's look at the glory of the biblical worldview of identity in contrast to these five faulty ideas. First, in contrast to the modern view of identity, which is fickle and unstable, the biblical worldview says every human being, rich, poor, black, brown, or white, brilliant and mentally challenged, physically whole or physically impaired, of high birth or low birth, has enormous value and worth because he or she bears the image of an eternal God. Our successes, our failures, our unattractiveness, or our ignorance, nothing can change our eternal value. Our sense of worth is secure and unchanging because it is tied to an unchanging God. Second, in contrast to the modern view of identity that fails to provide a true sense of worth— The biblical worldview says the one imparted to us the dignity of being his representatives is God himself. And those who come to faith in Christ also discover that they were designed before the foundation of the world for specific good works. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The gifts and good works are discovered and reinforced in the faith community to which we belong. That is identity, not gazing at our own belly button. Third, in contrast to the modern view of identity that creates incredible pressure to measure up, the biblical worldview says, for those who come to faith in Christ, we are not only perfectly created and hold the office of God's image bearer, we are personally wanted. We are desired. The Bible uses the two strongest forms of human love as analogies for God's desire for us, that of a bridegroom full of passion for his bride, and that of a father who wants us so much that he has adopted us into his own family. Fourth, in contrast to the modern view identity that promotes a false definition of freedom as autonomy, the biblical worldview says in Christ, God redeems the human desire to rule and exercise dominion from wanting autonomous rule to ruling God's creation for him. 
Freedom is not the right to do what I want, but the power to live according to God's perfect design for life on planet Earth. The wisdom of God becomes more precious than jewels because we were not designed to live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Finally, in contrast to the modern view of identity that is a delusion, the biblical worldview says Christ followers base our identity, our calling, our life purpose upon objective truth. God created man in his own image as two distinct genders to complete what is lacking in the other. God assigned different roles in the home and the church based upon his creation calling to both husbands and wives to show Christ to the world. As disciples of Christ, we never turn away from objective truth about the nature of God's physical universe, for example, called science, or the nature of the spiritual world. As disciples of Christ, we are committed to abiding in Christ's word, knowing that it will enable us to know the truth and that truth will set us free. To summarize this episode, godly men guide those under their care through the troubled cultural waters that base our identity upon looking inside ourselves. That worldview first fails to give security because our identity is never the same, fluctuating wildly based on our inner feelings. Second, fails to give a sense of worth because humans can't impart worth to themselves. A sense of worth can only come from affirmation outside of ourselves. Third, looking inside ourselves for authentic identity fails because thinking we have the power to invent ourselves creates enormous pressure to create and live up to the right self that everyone will love, respect, and value. Fourth, the modern view of the self fails because it completely misunderstands the human yearning to be free as autonomy. And fifth, the extreme of modern identity ideology leads to believing a delusion that is dangerous, that my subjective feelings are the same as objective truth. The biblical worldview, in contrast, says that we are perfectly designed to match God's purpose for our lives and gives us enormous confidence because we are wanted by God, no matter how dirty we are because of our sin or how much we fail Him. The biblical worldview guides us into true freedom, becoming more and more free from corruption and transformed to become the human beings we were designed to be. It gives us the wisdom to avoid the hopeless fog of subjectivity and gives us the courage to never fear truth because Jesus is truth and knowing truth sets humans free. The questions in today's show notes are questions for guiding the rising generation to think about this material. Here is the first of those. You probably haven't thought about it much, but when you leave for college and get ready to be on your own, your identity, who you were created to be, is an important question. Right now, how would you answer the question, who are you? How do you think most of your friends would answer? Again, see your show notes for three more questions. Next week, we continue our series entitled Protecting Our Families from Enticing but False Worldviews with an episode entitled Christian Views of Sexuality Are Old-Fashioned and Intolerant. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. 